loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Annie Mattingly. The After Death Chronicles is Annie Mattingly's first book, Unless, she says, you count the ones she burned, buried, or never wrote beyond 50 pages. I've got a few of those lurking somewhere. (laughs) The large questions of existence, especially those that lie on the cusp between life and death, have been central to her life, leading her to earn her MA in Interdisciplinary Consciousness Studies. She's co-published an engineering magazine, taught writing in universities, worked for a film festival, volunteered with hospice, and long been guided by her dreams. About As both the recipient of after-death communications from her daughter and as a researcher who interviewed scores of others who'd had such visitations, she found that after-death contact puts grief into a new perspective. It eases worries about our deceased beloveds and can, contra- can transform fears about our own deaths by assuring us that consciousness continues beyond the grave. She shares simple and elaborate stories of dreams, visions, auditory contexts, and more. Welcome, Annie. Hello, Cheryl. So, thank you for the book. I I enjoyed it. And um, at some point you said uh, that, you know, often people don't tell others these stories because mm-hmm. uh, they may get a kind of weird look or... A, uh, I I find I'm a little bit protective of those types of experiences that I that I've had because I don't really want to get into a, um, a factual argument about them. Right. Uh, so I related to that well that it took me quite a long time before I really wanted to share those experiences in any kind of uh, broader way or even you know even a little bit. Well, they are sacred, and they're very precious to us, and we don't want them sullied, you know, by someone <laughs> else's doubts. So I can I can respect that 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 keeping keeping quiet about them, and as I did at first as well. Mm. What was what was remarkable to me, uh, in a way, was how. Um, strong, you know, I I often find that people in early, very early grief are most primarily aware of the absence of the person. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's very hard to have an awareness of the presence of the person. I I myself uh, did maintain that. I think it was because I prepared for so long. Uh, My wife was sick an incredibly long time. But for Uh you... Your daughter died suddenly. Uh, I I know you had been, um, you can tell the story, so there's a sense in which you'd been preparing, but still I was very, very um, 
I guess, affected by the fact that she started communicating you, with you so shortly after her death. Can you can you tell how that all went for you? Um, you know, the, your loss of her and then her beginning yes. to communicate with you? Yes. I mean, there was preparation for me because she had been so deeply depressed and troubled and suicidal for over a year. And we'd been through emergency trips and attempts and near deaths. And it was, there was a lot of horrible drama for that period of time. So even though right to the instant in which I knew that she had taken her life, still I thought, surely this isn't real. I, and that it will never happen. There's still, on some emotional level, I was being prepared. So perhaps that's a piece of why I was able to receive contact from her within a few weeks of her death. I'm, I'm not really sure. You know, there are a lot of variations. There are a few people who have contact very quickly. There are people that I spoke to in the process of writing this book who didn't have contact for 30 years. <laughs> And then had contact, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, it, uh, there don't seem to be too many rules around this. <laughs> <laughs> right, and not from one relationship to the next, too. Because um, I've had a little bit with my father, very little with my mother, but a lot with my first wife. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there's something I, I I wouldn't be able to explain. You know, obviously I'm open. Uh, right, but, right. Or you but, wouldn't have had it with three people. <laughs> right. But um, <clears throat> there must be something on the other end, too, I have to think. Do you, what do you think? I suspect so. I mean, I see that I have had almost no contact with my father. Um I did not have contact with my mother until after my daughter's death, um, and then they often came together, um, and I'm not quite sure what that's about, but I don't understand the lack of contact with my father, because I would love to have that, um, but I don't, um, and I did read in, oh, what is her name? I can't, The Last Frontier, Julia Asante wrote, she's, a, she's both a scholar of this kind of, in this area, and a psychic. And she said that as a psychic, she found that there were certain people who just were uncontactable. <laughs> and she didn't know why either. So It's interesting. History. There was one occasion on this show, actually, where I was interviewing uh, Naomi Shihab Nye, the wonderful poet. Uh-huh. Oh, and, I know her work, um, yes. We we were talking about her book about her father's death, and we later compared notes. We both saw our fathers sitting together on a park bench listening to our interview, and really? we had the exact same picture. Uh, that's oh. the most vivid thing I've ever had with my dad. Um, but that's that's wonderful. But it was you it was a little bit o- overwhelming. Um, uh huh. And very pleasing, of course, because um, they would have a lot in common, actually. <laughs> so mm-hmm. well, it was nice. a great thing. Yeah. So, but uh, um, obviously, or maybe not obviously, you can tell me, <laughs> I, I consider uh, a death by suicide maybe especially uh, wrenching, raw, because there's so much complication in it, you know. 
Um, so obviously you were in the midst. I can't imagine that that contact with your daughter uh, removed grief. Oh, um, no, no. Uh, I, I'm... I'm not sure that contact does remove grief. It, 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 it softens it a little bit. It, it, it's like being caressed when you're crying helps, but it doesn't necessarily stop the sadness or the, or the tears. Um, but it changed, it gave me a new perspective. It changed my relationship with, with, her death, even while it hurt just as much as it had before. Um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to describe, I think. And, and as far as, you know, mm, the death by suicide being, it is very wrenching. I'm always hesitant to compare because uh, all deaths can be wrenching. It has Certainly. its own qualities uh, because it has a quality of rejection that mm. may not be there in other deaths that seem less voluntary. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's more, it's confusing. It's very, it has a, a level of confusion as well. It seems so, so terribly wrong. Well, especially, I know your, your daughter had uh, a young daughter herself and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure there would be pain for you associated with all the other people who lost her in that Absolutely. way as well. Absolutely. Um, one thing yeah. that that um, you know, because I, I I was sort of in contact with my wife in what in whatever ways I was while deeply grieving, and. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it always seemed to me what I was grieving was the loss of her in this in this world. Right, right. Uh, and that, that is not nothing. <laughs> no, know? it's not. We are physical beings with bodies. We like to be touched. We like the sound of voices. We like the ringing of the telephone. You know? <laughs> for sure, the, the, for the, sure. The, the wrapped packages, you know. <laughs> We like we like, we like being tracked by the other person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, there are there are lots of things. Uh, w- I certainly liked having a co-parent. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it was it was very different, of course, not to have her uh, with mm-hmm. my children after that. You know, so uh, I I think that's important that people distinguish that because. It's it's really not necessary that one eliminate the other. No, uh, they're they're no, separate I, things in my mind. I, I think that one of the things that we have uh, are generally not taught, and I mean, I was well into adulthood before I started figuring this out, is that we can feel a lot of things, different things, at the same time, and so mm. you can have the joy of having connection and realizing that this beloved being still exists on one level and still feel terribly sad and filled with grief and pain because they're not here physically. I, so. I've interviewed several mediums on the show, three or four at least, and mm-hmm. they all say that they are very, very cautious about working with people in early grief mm-hmm. um, for that reason that they don't want to ever kind of imply in their work that 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 their work is there to take away the grief. Right. 
Right. Um, they all seemed very them. intent, which is interesting because, of course, the common, I guess, reputation is maybe they're trying to make money off of people's grief or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But mm-hmm. I, I decidedly did not get that from anyone I've ever interviewed about. Well, that's good. Um, about opening that channel or whatever you might call it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sounds both wise and compassionate on their part. Even and, even with and interviewing <laughs> most of the people that I interviewed, it had been there had been some time passed, considerable time sometimes since the the death. Uh, but one time, someone recommended that I call a woman, and it had it was very fresh. Uh, the death was very fresh, and it, it was clear that it was it was troubling to her to have this conversation with me. And mm-hmm. after that, I I. Uh, backed away a few times from people who made suggestions about um, uh, people who had recent, very recent deaths. I think you need a little time to settle before you can talk about it in a, a way that doesn't stir the pain too much. Absolutely. Um <clears throat> the, you, there's a little part of your book, of course the book is absolutely chock full both of your own experience with your daughter and other people's experiences many many experiences organized around the kinds of ways that people have contact but I'd like to give people a little sense through one of those stories of of um, what what kinds of things happen for people? And I wondered if you could share the story of Lisa, the woman who was actually very young when this happened for, for her, but it seems to have stayed imprinted on her as a very important experience. Um, you're going to have to help me because I don't, which story is, give me a hint. Oh, sorry. Um, I, it's about the children's book author and illustrator, Lisa. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Um, who had the dream, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because Um, I changed all the names for the book, or almost all the names. uh, Yeah, it's hard to to place them then, huh? Well, I could put this little passage if you'd like, uh, unless you you can find it. Oh, I know Uh, where it is. It's on page 35. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the Lisa. The Lisa threw me off. (laughs) I could not remember what (laughs) name I had given her. All right. Um, Children's book author and illustrator Lisa was 12 when her grandmother died. And they had been close. And that closeness continued when Lisa had the following dream. Tell Freddie I'm not mad at him, her grandmother directed, sitting beside a man Lisa did not recognize. When she told Freddie, who was her father, this dream, he burst into tears. Unbeknownst to Lisa, her father was suffering within a deep well of guilt. His mother had asked him never to put her into a nursing home, but following her stroke, he had needed to do just that. As if to underscore the veracity of this message, when Lisa described the man in her dream to her father, he told her, that's your grandfather, who had died when Lisa was two, though she didn't remember that. By her grandmother sending this message through her, Not only was Freddie relieved of his burden of guilt, but 12-year-old Lisa was taught something about interconnectedness and the power of dreaming and her father's emotional life. What a profound experience for a 12-year-old to have. 
to to I have her father her. burst into tears and go yeah. right along with the dream because because it seems to me it often happens that um, especially children's experiences like this get discounted, thrown out. It's just mm-hmm. their fantasy, you know. So it mm-hmm. really struck me that her father just took it completely seriously mm-hmm. uh, and and believed her. Yeah, you know, so in believed that sense, it. I think the, the both the dream and her father's response were tremendous gifts that were very life-shaping for her. She came to trust her dreams more. She mm-hmm. was able to address this or rela- have some relationship with the fact that her grandmother was, still existed. She was able to see her father deeply moved. <laughs> and she was really able to participate in a healing. And that's, that's a pretty wonderful thing for a 12-year-old to experience, I think. And and it occurred to me that it was probably, in a way, more powerful or irrefutable for her father that it was through her that it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he might have thought if it came through him, it was his own fantasy right. or desire. Trying to salve his own guilt, that kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. seemed that seemed um, moving that that mm-hmm. his daughter brought that to him. And messages, it's, it's, very, it's quite interesting to me that uh, there, a fair number of people have dreams in which they are given messages to give to other people. And that ends up having a profound effect on both the recipient of the message and the person and the dreamer. Um, so it becomes this kind of group activity. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, I actually have an example of that because my, my mother had a lot of caregivers at the end of her life. She didn't want us to care for her body. She mm-hmm. she wanted caregivers for that, ha- p- people she hired. But one mm-hmm. of the people she hired was a, a Muslim woman who was also a massage therapist my mother was a very Christian person. She worked for the church, the whole thing. But this woman asked her if she could um, pray, you know, give her a massage and pray. And my mother loved it, which was very mm. surprising. Well, she, my mom came to her after she died and said, mm. I am just so, so happy, At, which was not a thing my mother would typically say. Um, huh. And she sought me out and told me the dream. Uh, I had no dreams about my mother, so it can be really far afield too. They weren't; they didn't know each other that long. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I think you know my my supposition is um, she knew the message would get delivered that this particular person would right would find it important to tell me mm-hmm. that there uh, may be reasons like that 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 cause particular person to connect through a dream to give send a message they say oh i can i can get through to you and you'll deliver so (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i have no way to know but that was my nice fantasy about it you know and i was Uh so happy to hear it uh for sure it was a lovely thing to hear it is Uh, lovely yes (laughs) i am so happy (laughs) um and you know it's about time for our break but when we come back let's talk about Obviously, we've been just talking about uh, people beyond the veil, as you call it, offering service, giving something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the the other thing that stood out in your book is the way that people want to reassure that they're okay. And I'd yeah. like to talk about that when we when we come back. Okay. All right. Listeners, listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Goof page at Voice America. Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and all of that. Uh, you can sign up for my email list there. There are also links to my n- novel, An Ocean Between Them, about the healing between a mother and daughter after the daughter's diagnosis with cancer. Um, so so just uh, connect with me to keep up with everything good grief. And to find Annie Mattingly, you can go to AnnieMattingly.com. It's A-N-N-I-E. M-A-T-T-I-N-G-L-E-Y dot com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Annie Mattingly, the author of After Death Chronicles. And before the break, Annie, I was saying that I really want to talk about this very common message that people get um, from their loved ones, I'm okay. Uh, You mentioned in the book, it doesn't always 
mean that someone has said that out loud, but sometimes it's just a profound sense of wellness. But I know that's extremely common. How, what do you what do you think about that? How do you how do you read that in terms of do you think that only happens with people that are concerned that their loved one isn't okay, or um, do you think it's just more of a reassurance to anyone? It is expressed verbally in exactly those words. I'm okay. I mean, I've joked sometimes I could have just skipped writing the book. You know, and just said, said, <laughs> just, come back just and send out okay. one line, I'm okay. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> because I've heard it so many times and in so many ways. It's come in dreams. It's come in visions, bedside visions, where someone uh, sees, a woman sees her brother and she goes, Oh, is that you? It's the middle of the night. You know, the room is dark, and there he is lit up. And he goes, shh, because this is just for her, and says, I'm okay. comes that way. Um, and it's sometimes, as you say, it's simply this mm, profound feeling that they are okay, even if they don't say anything. And I... I venture to say it's possible that there are some people who are so such profound have such a profound faith that they never doubt that the person is okay. But almost all people have at some level some concern. Is is this person okay? And certainly. If they die by violence, if they die by their own hand, as my daughter did, um, I think everyone is concerned. Uh, is this person okay? And so to hear those words, they sound so simple, but they grab the heart <laughs> and es- caress especially, it. And it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, usually it goes along with, you know, I, I, I'm used to reading people's faces uh, in my work as a counselor. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it usually comes along with a tremendous sense of peace in how the person actually looks. Um, it, if, you know, if it's in a vision, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and was that your daughter's kind of first message to you, that she was okay? No, her, her first message, the first thing... Uh, the first thing that happened is she awakened me one morning with uh, these sensations through my body that were I did not like because I didn't want to be wakened up and remember that she was dead. Mm. And uh, they came stronger and stronger until I sat up and said, is that you, Randy? If it's you, do something. Move something so I know. Uh, and I looked around the room. It was just barely dawn, and I'm looking around the room like, I don't know, looking for psychic phenomena. I'm not seeing anything. (laughs) Open the drape or something. (laughs) Right, right. Do something like they do in the movies, you know. (laughs) And instead, she simply said, your body knows. But the sound of her voice, because that's how I, my experiences with her are all auditory. They're all verbal or in my body, like the, the rushing sensation that I felt that morning. And that just the sound of her voice told me that she was okay. Um, and that was the end of that first experience. But So she never did say, I'm okay. Um, but 
many, many, many other people have had experiences in which those are the precise words. Um, but that doesn't have to be in those words. You, you have to have the feeling. I mean, that's, right. I, I guess, that's, almost that's the crucial all part. of the contact. May- I'm sorry? Uh, maybe it would g- actually be a good moment for you to read the, the part of your book about Marsha because it's kind of that sort of story, isn't it? It It, it is, it, because it, it's, it's very profound. Well, I don't need to describe it. I'll just tell, show, read it. <laughs> um, this is really one of the most powerful stories in the book uh, from from a woman who had been my former neighbor. Um, almost as soon as I heard, she heard, Marcia heard, I was writing this book, she sent me the story of what had occurred after her brother took his own life. She said she had cried for days, that her head ached from her effort to understand. In an attempt to ease both her aching heart and her aching head, she walked and walked alone in a nearby park where I used to walk, too, when I lived there. I recall the old quarry where walkers had carefully placed rocks into a labyrinth. This quarry seemed to have its own vortex as though spirit were more accessible there, and it drew Marcia into it. She sat down, closed her eyes, and was washed over with peacefulness. She could feel her brother Ken's presence surrounding her. He seemed to be everywhere, and when she opened her eyes, he was everywhere. He sat facing her, and yet he also sat to either side of her. There were ten of him, ten versions, ten replicas of her brother, ten Kens sitting cross-legged as she was in a circle, each with both his arms extended, hands resting and spreading over the back of each of the other versions of himself the arms of the brother to her immediate right and left embraced her. And here's where he says it. He says, I am okay. And again, I am okay. As he touched her and gazed into her eyes. She told me this level of comfort and reassurance was so far beyond anything she could ever have hoped for that nothing can touch it or take it from me. That now she knows something about the afterlife she had only guessed about before. It's so interesting to come into that type of knowing, isn't it? Um, I, 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 I can't, of course, prove as no one can what happens right. after all this. And yet, uh, after going through the death of someone so close to me and um, feeling a sense of continued connection... It's not fathomable to me that there is nothing but this. Right. It's not not something to believe in anymore once you've had profound experiences like this. It just simply is. Simply is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not people believe that, um, continuing to reach out for connection with the people we've lost really, really helps uh, it's the times when people are disconnected that they're very troubled, I find. Mm-hmm. And um, often that's true when someone comes to my office. If they've, let's say they lost a parent as a kid and uh, everyone uh, shut up about it and the person kind of mm-hmm. was disappeared, that's mm-hmm. the disturbing thing. <laughs> right. And reestablishing right. a connection really, really helps with that. Mm-hmm. What, no matter what you believe about what what the connection means. Yes, and talking about the person is 
is so important. It's such, there's such a tendency, and I really saw this after my daughter Randy's death. People didn't were afraid to talk about her, and they seemed to think that if they didn't talk about her, then I wouldn't feel sad. <laughs> a crazy idea. <laughs> it was a very crazy idea. And I loved the sound of, well, I still do, the sound of her name. And in our family, we spoke of her often, and we still do. You know, it's like, oh, there, we took a family trip last year, and uh, we were in Spain, um, half a dozen family members. And um, it, Herbert Randy's birthday was during the time that we were away, and we talked about it on her birthday. And I mean, not just then, that's not the only time, but it was an important day, and we didn't ignore it. And uh, I think that that's the relationship hasn't isn't stopped by death, and it, she's just as much a member of this family as she ever was. And to be to not talk about her would be terribly lonely, I think. And yet, I know people who who avoid talking about the person who's died. And, and sometimes because thing. they truly don't want to talk, but I think often it's, um, again, what we were talking about earlier, um, protecting yourself from people's bad reactions or discomfort or disease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, you could, we can have kind of thin skins when we've lost somebody and, and not want someone to come in in some kind of painful way. Do you, do you think mm-hmm. that might be part of it? Oh, I do. I do. Um, there are, and, and I, you know, I say this, that I want to hear about her, and yet there were times when I remember in the early stages when I would go to the grocery store, it just seemed, it was very challenging just to be out in the world. <laughs> and the things that people said um, that turned away from her, from my daughter and from her death upset me. But then again, I think everything upset me because one day this woman I didn't know very well leaned over against the shelf and said, well, now tell me, Annie, how are you doing? And she really meant it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm fine. <laughs> no. So I, There's no right thing to say in a way. Huh? There's no right thing. There's no right thing because it wasn't right for me. I wasn't right. So no matter whether they ignored the subject or or turned open to it, I still there were still times when nothing that anybody said was right. So I I personally prefer the attempt mistake more than the ignore it mistake. <laughs> but Absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Me too. But I, I had a chance. I saw that woman maybe I don't know, three years later or something, because I really didn't know her well or see her often. And I I said, you know, I wanna apologize for how I responded that day. You said something so beautiful and I wasn't able to be present with it. And we had a nice hug and it was it was better then. You know, I, I really <laughs> Oh I you cleaned that, that I, all up. <laughs> yeah, I needed to acknowledge both my side of it and her side of it. And yeah. it did help me to see that there's there's a very always, good there there's a very good b- book about empathy and and one of the main points of it is don't be afraid to make mistakes yeah. you know that the that the biggest mistake is is uh being so afraid of making a mistake that you don't try anything and, um, and you make no connection at all then yeah. exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly uh just just be prepared it might not be right at the moment and then you just back up 
Mm -hmm. I like Mm -hmm. that advice quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And it's good also for the for the person in grief, because I also remember the very first time that I told someone in the grocery store about Randy's death, you know, she, the woman said, how are you? And I said, Randy died by suicide. <laughs> and the poor woman almost fell over. You know, I had to learn to, to soften how I told people. And I didn't know that at first. I didn't, I didn't and understand maybe, that. And maybe I, even if you had, theoretically saw the wisdom in it could you have done it yeah, I don't because know. <laughs> to me at that moment everything is screaming out you know the, mm-hmm. the truth of it right that's why it's mm-hmm. so hard to be out in the world I think yeah yeah, yeah. No, it, it's so, a complicated process on all sides yes um, and so one thing I'm very interested in and talking about, and we're almost ready for the second break, but let's let's at least start it a tiny bit first, which is uh, I was very intrigued by uh, the the way that you kind of categorize different ways that people uh, appear to us mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. make themselves known to us. Uh, and it and it made me uh, interested on this level that, um, I'm quite a kinesthetic person. Uh-huh. Uh, I go by feel a lot. And I realize that my wife frequently uh, jumps in with, you know, I, I, for instance, ask her for help when I'm stuck at work, when uh-huh. I'm not sure exactly which way to go next. And I just feel an answer. Uh, and uh-huh. so I, I wondered, and, and I'm hoping we can talk about this when we come back, because um, it is time for our break. Um whether you think there is some connection between the grieving person's way of being and the ways that they, they end up connecting with the person who's died, whether there's a, a relationship there. I think you believe uh, there is, but I'd just like to... I do. Yeah, yeah, so let's talk about that when we get back. Okay, good. During our second break, listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, my my website, two Gs, and you can go to the Good Grief host page. To find Annie, you can go to anniemattingly.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to good grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Annie Mattingly, who wrote After Death Chronicles. And, Annie, before the break, I was. Uh, saying I'd like to talk about all the different ways that you chronicle um, people having these experiences, dreams, knowing or sensing, voices, visions, nature experiences, very big with a lot of people I know, butterflies and birds and stuff, electrical or physical, touch, smells, synchronicity, um, all kinds of other ways, dreams, etc. Do you, what do you make of the meaning of how a particular person might experience someone who's died uh do you think there's any any sense to it i guess well uh, we each have ways that we are better at communicating with the world and taking the world in and uh i think if you are a visual person and which might you mean might mean you were an artist, but might not, uh, a, a visual artist, uh, that you are more likely to see a vision. I have had countless contacts with my daughter, but never have I seen her. <laughs> They've uh-huh. all been in my body, which is one of the ways that I receive awareness of truth, and or they've been auditory, and that's words. And I'm a writer, and words are how I take the world in. Um, very good dreamers will usually have dream contacts, although even people who don't aren't good dreamers will will as well. But whatever path is most open within us, 
Um, there are a, a, a number of people who've had uh, experiences with smell. I don't have a very good sense of smell, so mm. that has no meaning for me. Right. Um, but I, and I don't really know whether the person, the the deceased person's strengths are involved here, or it's mostly on the receiving end from the living person. I do know that because my daughter became very um, supportive of the fact that I was gathering these stories and writing a book about them, um, I think that one of the things, and so that became part of the purpose of our connection. Mm. And she came in, oh, I think it was like five or seven different ways to different people, all, all different ways. So she clearly was able to make contact in a lot of, with, with a lot of variety. So she wasn't limited to one particular pathway. So I don't know whether other, I have not talked to enough people who've had one deceased person make contact with a number of people to know whether there are specialties, specialists, <laughs> you might say. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But definitely how we receive, I think, is uh, key to how the, we are contacted. Even if you read about people's intuitive abilities, there, there are styles in that, that some people receive better visually, some people receive better at dreams, some people receive better through their bodies. Um, and some people you know, receive I, I better. also, no, oh, go ahead. Well, some people receive better through nature. Or it may simply be that you have more chance to, if you live in a place where there's lots more nature access, you may have more of a likelihood mm. to receive in that way. I also wonder, because I, just thinking of my, my first wife with whom I have the most experience with this, um, right. <clears throat> there's some difference in terms of um, uh, the timing uh, you know, for instance, at first I just felt her everywhere uh, mm-hmm. when in she first body, died. Or uh, what? I'm sorry. You felt her in your body, Every, all around me, in and out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nowhere she wasn't at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, much later, when I met my second wife, <clears throat> she, we had a communication through dreams. Mm-hmm. That hadn't really happened before. We we were kind of working out uh, letting go of our uh, earthly relationship, is mm-hmm. how I, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because now it's just one. what's that? Because you were starting another one. Because yeah, I I had to sort out how to place those two relationships inside of myself, and and I mm-hmm. I believe she helped me do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then now it's it's more oh she's here right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. i'll just have that feeling here and there so that's very different experiences over time uh Mm -hmm. i don't know if you talked with people who also have had that sort of um change in how the other person communicates, but uh, I, I feel that I haven't in my talked case. to others who've had that experience, but I have. 
because in, in the initial experiences in the, in the in the first months and even the first couple of years, they were all, all verbal, and some of them were lengthy conversations, ex- real exchanges. Um, but now, and it's been eight years and three months or so, uh, I think we're coming up on four months, um, she... She's spoken to me twice in a year, but I feel her presence. I'll feel that energy in my body. That, uh, or sometimes it's simply it's less than that. It's more like what you're saying, uh, of just knowing she's there. She's 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 here. You know. Yeah. Um, and so it is very different than it was in the beginning. Um, I think that the words were very important much more important in the beginning that but now when it if there's a big need now she comes verbally Uh most of the time there's not a big need (laughs) (laughs) there's desire but there's not need you know right well it's it seems to me like you experienced her as as really helping you teaching you Mm -hmm. to inform the book Mm -hmm. would that be true to say yes she she taught me to inform the book, and she also simply supported the process because it was a little challenging to be grieving, and there were a lot of um, earthly uh, things that I needed to do regarding her estate and the trust for her daughter and her daughter, and I was overwhelmed by the idea of writing a book at the same time, <laughs> and, and she just kept saying, you can do it, just do a little bit. Just do a little bit. Keep showing up, you know. Um, oh, that's and that's that's poignant because I'm sure that you were an encouragement in in her life. Uh, you couldn't take away what was um, what you know her physical and emotional pain, but I'm sure you were an encouragement. And then she offered that to you. Right. Yeah. It was almost like we re- reversed roles, where she was more of the supportive mother at that point. Uh-huh. You know, at the end of your book, which I want to get to before we get to the end of our hour, um, oh. <laughs> I was very interested in, you know, of course we are uh, at, at our at our base talking about mystic, mystical experience. Um, yes. If we if we define that as what is not what is not known to the eye, what can't be proven, what um, mm-hmm. you know, what is beyond, what lives in the mystery, I guess. Yes, um, yes. And um, it's, it seemed as if you were always a bit inclined in that direction, mm-hmm. but that these experiences um, kind of pushed you completely into it in a much deeper way. They did. It, they, yeah, it was... I was always open to this, and I had various experiences over the years. Um, not open to after-death communication. I know anything about that. That totally shocked me. But the idea of the invisible and the mystical was a world that I had a great deal of interest in, but then it became almost a home base. <laughs> so it's, uh, it is... let's, let's have you read that part of your book at the end about vast existence um, because that that's kind of I think expresses this very well right at the okay. right at the end here <laughs> I will 
All right, let's see, it's on page 200. Existence is vast and luscious and expansive, and it is our role as humans to explore its outer reaches, not to confine and limit them. What I want to convey is the rich mystery of the interpenetration of the various levels of this reality. Existence is not an either-or affair. It is not that if I am happy, I can't be sad. If I am here, I can't be there. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. If my beloved dies, he or she is gone. Part of our task is to come into relationship with this interpenetration, to trust the unseen and the subtle. Because we are all touched by death, because anyone who loves has the potential to receive communication through the veil between the living and the dead, we all share the possibility of experiencing the mystical, to become, to one extent or another, if only for a single moment, a mystic. I, I like that because uh, I'm both very rationally based, you know, I, can, I think and I read and I, <laughs> all that, but also there's this part of me that is not. And I think you're making room for both when, within us as people that we can mm-hmm. incorporate both and, and not be too far out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it doesn't mean because we have mystical moments that we cannot be grounded in our physical lives and in our minds. Um, they don't obviate one another. <laughs> Both things can exist and support one another. I think there's a, a tendency among the scientifically minded to think that that's not true. That if, you know, my goodness, if we believe in this mystical stuff, then then we're not rational, and we, but we can be both. As you're just saying, you are, and I believe that I am as well. Uh, and all even the if other I can't thing prove that, all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> even if you can't prove it, uh, yeah. I, I've spent some time with a man named Francis Weller who's very grounded in an ancestor tradition, and he, he talks about the interaction, you know, that... that those beyond the veil are helping us to live and we're helping them to heal. And I mm-hmm. like that idea that mm-hmm. there's an, that there's an interaction going on uh, of some form. And I think that's just as powerful, even if you don't believe that there is anything beyond, mm-hmm. but the idea that we can relate within ourselves to uh, what we know of that person or people to feel that sense of support it's still powerful yes it's very powerful it is i think what we need as as human beings to to understand that we are beloved and that we have support around us all the time and i think the not knowing that causes much harm and this is one of the ways for us to receive to realize even even it's it's hard to imagine for some it, that's it maybe that's going to have imagine. to be where we that's going to have to be where we end cuz we're wow. out of time but that's a beautiful <laughs> place to rest okay. <laughs> thanks for thanks a lot for being with me to, today and oh, i hope you, you out there welcome. listening i hope you'll go to animatingly.com i'm going to spell it again a n n i e m a t t i n g l e y.com 
those two T's I want to particularly emphasize. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.